Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Swami. The devotee went to Sanatana Swami 
and informed him that Lord Shiva advised them to seek out the best benediction from him, Sanatan. Sanatan had a touchstone with him, which he kept with the garbage. On the request of the poor Brahmin, Sanatan Goswami gave him the touchstone, and the Brahmin was very happy to have it. He now could get as much gold as he desired simply by touching the touchstone to iron. But after he left Sanatan, he thought, if a touchstone is the best benediction, why has Sanatan Goswami kept it with the garbage? He therefore returned and asked Sanatan Goswami, Sir, if this is the best benediction, why did you keep it with the garbage? Sanatana Goswami then informed him, Actually, this is not the best benediction, but are you prepared to take the best benediction from me? The Brahmin said, Yes, sir. Lord Shiva sent me to you for the best benediction. Then Sanatana Goswami asked him to throw the touchstone in the water nearby and then come back. The poor Brahmin did so. And when he returned, Sanatana Goswami initiated him with the Hare Krishna mantra. Thus, by the benediction of Lord Shiva, the Brahmin got the association of the best devotee of Lord Krishna and was thus initiated in the Maha Mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Pramagyana Dimirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militamena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitya Shri Advaita Gadara Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktavinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Panchakalpa Tavivyascha, Deepa Sindhu Devacha, Patitanam Pavanebhya, Vaishnavedhyo Namaha. So we study in the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is called the cream of all the Vedic literatures. And Srila Prabhupada said that the Srimad Bhagavatam, this, is, this book is meant for the re-spiritualization of society. So it teaches us, informs us throughout who is the supreme, that there is a God, a personal God, that's Krishna. He's the supreme controller and he, um, he deputes, he deputes or he delegates to his different servants or devotees, different services to do. So he's a supreme controller, Ishvara Parama Krishna, Satchitananda Vigraha, and he has these lesser or mini controllers whom he empowers very powerfully to take care of the living entities, the conditioned living entities in the material sphere. So here we're seeing uh, one main theme that I, sh I saw that uh, popped out. This verse 
among many other themes, countless themes. It talks about independence and yet dependence. So independence, dependence, interdependence. There's this uh, famous quote, I think it's by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, where he says, man is born free, but everywhere he's in chains. And it's said kind of like in a philosophical slash um, philosophical political tone that people are being exploited by others, the cheaters and the cheated. But we see even in the spiritual sense here that we are born free, but yet we are in chains, and those chains are self-inflicted. We actually chain ourselves. So I found that was one interesting theme that came up here. So we are going to deal now with Krishna, who is supremely independent. He's called Swarat. He's completely independent, and his servants or his representatives, like Lord Shiva here, they have a, a great amount of independence as well. So much so that Lord Shiva, he, uh, he's called the best of the Benedictines. He's very powerful, and but he's very merciful. He's called Nidushtama, it said, the best of the Benedictines. So he's representing Krishna as the caretaker of the material world. He and his wife, Parvati, they are the caretakers of the children of the material world who come here, the errant souls. And um, in the verse and the purport itself, we're seeing examples of why Lord Shiva is called Nidushtama. We're seeing examples where he exhibits this quality of being very um, benevolent and giving benedictions to everyone without consideration. Like he's giving, he's being very benedictory here to these personalities who were present, so much so that they're very satisfied with the conclusion and the resolution that he arrived at when they all came to placate him. He was very forgiving, very empathetic to them, so they're very much satisfied. So we're seeing here that this Shiva, who is a controller and the best among the Benedictus, he is very benevolent in this regard. Then in the purport, Srila Prabhupada gives examples about Shiva. He doesn't discriminate. His uh, benedictions are for everyone not just the churchgoers or the saintly people or holy people or the spiritualists. Lord Shiva, he's giving to the good, the bad, and the ugly. He gives to everyone, so he's called the best among the Benedictus for that reason too. And then Prabhupada gives a nice story. He actually did a play, a skit with this story with Sanatana Goswami and the touchstone. <laughs> that was many years ago, where we're seeing Lord Shiva, not only does he help those who are bad and demoniac, but he helps those who are good, like the Brahmin. The Brahmin is supposed to be good. And Srila Prabhupada in the purport, he gives this uh, anecdote here, how Lord Shiva directed this uh, Brahmin to go to the great devotee Sanatana Goswami, 
where he got this valuable jewel of chanting the holy names of the Lord. Can you think of any other example which illustrates Shiva's mercy and him being the best among the benedictors? Any other pastimes that come up, that come to mind? Yes, Ruja Prabhu. When he drank the poison. So when he drank the poison, the demigods, they sought his help also. And Vishnu said, yes, go to Shiva. Because he knows this, this representative, Lord Shiva, that he's always eager to help. So they asked him to, do, to drink the poison that was uh, spread all over the ocean. It was very deadly. And he accepted selflessly. Uh, Parvati wasn't very comfortable with that. But anyway, he drank all the poison. It was quite a lot that was absconded in the, the waters of the ocean. And he has the power that he didn't swallow it. He keeps it in his throat. So his throat turned bluish, and that's why he's called Nilakanta. So yes, any other examples that come to mind? Um, I don't know if you got this already, but it was when Krishna was fighting Yes. Yeah. He went to the extent to protect his devotees from fighting Krishna. Just so he can protect. Was that? He fought Krishna, that's true. Yes. For his devotees. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Any other examples? Well, there is an example right here. Where he's seeing that we think he has to be the best among the benedictors. In the face of un, unendurable provocation, he was insulted publicly by his son in law. He was denied his share of the sacrifice. Things got so out of hand that even his wife died because of this dispute between uh, him and Daksha. So he lost his wife. I mean, that's very intense, very, very heavy. And yet, he could come around, he could be placated by Brahma, who came acting as a, a mediator, yet he could uh, forgive them. And he could actually comply with the request of Lord Brahma. Lord Brahma is asking, well, the yajna is unfinished. The plan was that we were going to do a sacrifice to Lord Vishnu, Krishna, and it's incomplete because of what happened. We know after Sati died, Shiva, he instructed this demon, he pulled out of his head, like, go and kill Daksha. So then Virabhadra, he went, and all of Lord Shiva's followers, and they devastated the sacrificial arena. It was uh, a total melee where you have the Brahmins, the sages fled, the women, they were intimidated, uh, the place was demolished. Um, it, it was just all hell that broke loose. 
And now they're repentant and they're coming to Lord Shiva who they know they're not quite sure if he will be, how he'll react because he's known as Asutosh. So sometimes what they might construe as erratic behavior isn't really like that because sometimes he can be easily pleased and easily angered. So they're treading, as they're saying on the eggshells, they're very careful. And that's why they have this intermediary uh, between them and Shiva, Lord Brahma, who's the most intelligent. He can assess things, he can um, analyze the whole situation. He's got the brains for it, four heads. He can assess the whole situation and uh, he knows, he's very expert at conflict resolution. So we see that he, he spoke to Shiva very expertly and Shiva did come around so much so that they're so happy now in the face of all this provocation and abuse that he suffered, yet he could comply and he said, okay, you ask that uh, Daksha be revived, I can do that. And, uh, Pusha get back his teeth and Vaga get back his eyesight, etc., etc. Yes, I can. And so when the um, the demigods, this is a big crowd of people here. We're looking at the text. There's Lord Indra and the hosts of demigods and sages. It's huge. This crowd, and they're all headed by the chief of demigods, Lord Brahma. And then Shiva is there on the other side with all his cohorts. It, it's a vast scene, there are countless people, immeasurable. And he goes along and he, um, he complied, but we notice that he complied in his own way. Daksha did, he could revive him. He has the power to do that, revive, resuscitate Daksha, bring him back, back alive, but he does things in his own way that the devotee thinks is best for that person. So there's still some punishment is there, some rectification, some correction is there when he crowns uh, the body of Daksha with a goat's head. And he could orchestrate things in such a way that not only this body revives this half goat, half man body, but Daksha could seamlessly continue where he left off in his consciousness, as though he just woke up from sleep. It's like, oh, where am I? <laughs> and he just continues with his life. So Shiva has a power to do that. And he does things in such an interesting way. It's weird. You see what he does with Pusha. Pusha, he was enjoying when Shiva was being uh, criticized. So he was there like a coward hiding in the background. He just showed his teeth smiling, laughing at Shiva being criticized. So he got his teeth knocked out, so Shiva gave back the teeth. How did he do it? He did it in an unusual way. But yes, Pusha can get back his teeth, but uh, he, he can eat through the mouths of his disciples. Who can do that in this world? That you can get your food eaten by somebody else and get the nourishment. It's just so outlandish, it's bizarre. It just shows the inconceivable Shakti, the power of Shiva, the power of God. And then like Bhagavad, the one who 
raising his eyebrows, you know, and so happy, exulting that Lord Shiva is being criticized. His eyes were gouged out by Virabhadra. And then you have Shiva say, yes, he'll get back his eyesight. And here's how he does it. He can see through the eyes of Mitra. He can see through the eyes of somebody else. Who can do that? What scientist can do that? What yogi can do that? What magician can do that? They're showing the power that he's a controller. They can't do that. That's, that's why they come here. Why are they coming to Shiva? Do they care about Shiva? It seemed like they were indifferent before. It seemed that they were callous when they were hearing all these insults hurled upon Shiva. Nobody wanted to interfere. Oh, I can't interfere. You know, the bystander effect. You know, the bystander effect. Why are they coming to Shiva now? They're powerful themselves. They're very powerful. Actually, I was surprised when I saw that Pusha, he's a guru. He's a, he's a demigod. That means he's way beyond us puny mortals in the earth planet. He's a guru, he has disciples, and look at his behavior. He was enjoying chuckling to himself when Shiva was being insulted. So he's a big guru. Why do they need Shiva now? Why are they all congregating and using Brahma as their intercessor to mediate for them? They're powerful. Bhaga, he's a demigod too, he's very powerful. Why are they coming? Because of the punishment inflicted by Lord Shiva and his hordes. They realize like, oh, well, yeah, we do have some power too. We are controllers, we are Ishwaras, but there's higher Ishwaras. There's more powerful controllers. And ultimately, there's God. So they, they have a very profound realizations, very deep realizations like, oh yeah, I, I do have some independence. I can't exercise control over maybe my family, my long-suffering family, <laughs> or my job, or my japa, hopefully, have some control over how many rounds I chant. I have some control, perhaps in society. I have some position in society, maybe I'm a big boss somewhere, some executive and people, but I don't have, I don't have supreme control. There's always something, someone superior to me. There's others who are inferior and we're happy for that, Lord it over. But there's superior power, there's superior authority that I have to accept whether I like it or not. And the thing is, if I choose to ignore it, then I'll have to suffer the consequences. I choose to ignore that Shiva is one of the great controllers. He's a guna avatar. He's been deputed by Krishna. He's a, he's a mighty controller. Oh, I can turn a blind eye and I can pretend like Daksha. He thinks, oh, I can go straight to Vishnu. I can do the yagya. I'm the main one here. And I can do this Jagya for my Supreme Lord Vishnu. But then the inauspicious atmosphere that's created by him, it's so inauspicious with all this uh, 
these offenses being perpetrated and ignoring Krishna's devotee there, Krishna's dear devotee, uh, Mahadev, Vaishnavanang Yatashambu. Oh, I can go to Krishna and I don't need to pay respects to his representative. We think that can't happen. Bhagavatam is showing uh, we have to pay, we have to suffer the consequences, and that's not how we go to Krishna. Krishna doesn't want that. So they realize, like, oh, we need him after all. We need him to complete the sacrifice, to do the service of Vishnu, and hopefully they are being purified and genuinely repentant. So they realize they're powerful, but they can't do whatever they want. So we think that Shiva is the one who's in control here. They have to go and bite the dust and try to appease him. And they want, they have to make certain requests of certain things they want done, like people be revived, come back to life, get back their limbs, get back their vision. And they can't do it. Someone is more powerful than them. And that one, there's more and more powerful until we're going back to Krishna. And they're seeing these deep realizations they're getting that if they're disrespectful and negligent and pretend like they don't see, you know, like in that pastime with Nalakrivara and Manudriva, they were naked, they were enjoying in this lake, Shiva's lake, and then Narad Muni, he happened to pass by, and they were pretending. They're pretending. It's like they're, they're doing quite a few things, but they're pretending they don't see him, and they're flagrantly showing, like, I'm a nature lover, I, I don't have to be respectful. So they're very negligent, and they're doing it actually intentionally, unlike the girls who were hanging out with them. And Narada Muni understood that because they're spoiled, rich kids. Their father is a treasurer of the demigods. They're so spoiled that he decides to teach them a lesson. Okay, you want to be naked? Stay as trees and be naked. But apart from that, there's another torment that he inflicts upon them for their purification. They're very young, so mode, you know, mode of passion, hormones raging and <laughs> whatever, right? mode of passion. So you want to move when you're in a mode of passion. You always want to move. Your mind is speeding ahead of you. Your limbs are speeding because you're young. You're on the go. You're jumping in this vimana, that airplane going here and there. They can't move. They're just stuck there. They're just paralyzed. So that's why the great souls they, real, they, they know how to mete out punishment, which is purification. It's not out of malice in such a way to teach people a lesson for their purification. So we've seen that Shiva is the one who has the power to decide people's destiny. Part of his service, too, is like he awards bodies to different souls. You have the ghosts and the disembodied, uh, spirits and hobgoblins that everyone's afraid to even be around or to, what to speak of, deal with. He that's why he's the best of the Benedictus, Madhushtama. He's the one who takes that, that service, like you take, you go to this body. 
you go in this room of this person in this family and so on. So they get these realizations. If I try, if I try to enjoy and I don't care two hoots about who are the controllers, the caretakers of the universe, then I will have to suffer the consequences. I will, I will see in due course of time I am defeated in my efforts to enjoy independent of Krishna and that whatever plans I have, they will be foiled. In due course of time, they will be thwarted. So they're realizing I'm not independent. I'm actually independent, but not independent. That's how we start. I'm independent because I'm from Krishna, and Krishna is independent. But Krishna is God. So Krishna is Swarat, he's fully independent. Whereas I, who am an infinitesimal part of God, I am just minutely independent. So being so very tiny, the Vedic scriptures tell us, we are so very tiny, and this tiny amount of independence, we can become carried away and misuse that independence. So Bhagavatam is showing us here that actually there's nice examples given about our minute independence and Krishna's independence. Can anyone say the comparisons that Krishna, um, Prabhupada gives like two main ones to show our minute independence and God's absolute independence? Okay, I'll say one. A particle of gold, wheel like that, just like a little speck or sliver of gold coming from the gold mine or the gold mine thing. We are so tiny and Krishna is so great with the independence. Any other example? Yes, Jay. Drop of water and the ocean. The, the properties are the same. It's still, you know, composed with these different uh, components, but one is very tiny and one is vast. And you said, what was the other? The sun rays and the sun itself. So we see the sun rays slanting through the window, and there's a sun. So we're very, very infinitesimal, and Krishna is infinite. So then sometimes we have, that it, it happens, we have that tendency where we misuse our independence, like we're seeing here with these people on the higher planets, and they're supposed to know better than us, earthlings, but somehow they exhibit quite human emotions. It reminds me of the Roman and the Greek pantheon of gods. Every now and then they seem to be behaving worse than humans, <laughs> and they have all these foibles and, uh, yeah, just like people on the Earth planet. It's a good lesson for us also because there are many people who worship these beings. Oh, they're demigods and they are empowered and they can give me all these different benedictions. But we're seeing that these very same people whom they worship, they're quite inadequate themselves. <laughs> they, have, they have a lot of faults and uh, they are erring just like, so rather should we Bhagavatam is inferring here that we can, we should give up the worship of these idols of the world, the demigods, the celebrities, 
the heroes and so on. And we pose our worship on Krishna uh, through Krishna's representatives, like Lord Shiva. So we're so they came to the conclusion, these personalities, at least for the present, they came to the conclusion that I'm actually independent, but minutely independent. And I should take shelter and depend on he who is supremely independent, Krishna, and Krishna's representative, like Lord Shiva. Uh, so, in, so in other words, we are dependent, we are independent, but yet we are dependent. Prabhupada gives a, a nice example. He says, it's like we live in a free country, the land of freedom. We live in this country and I am a free person. And I think, for some reason or the other, in my selfishness, that I can do whatever I want here. I have freedom of speech, freedom of this, freedom of that. I can do whatever I want. Somehow we will end up in the court if we have that mentality. Because if we misuse our independence and encroach on other people's freedom and rights, then uh, we have to pay for it. You go to the court, you know, you broke the law. There are certain laws that we have to follow, even in the material world. Yes, we can say how independent we are, but if we break certain rules and laws and other people are exploited or abused in the process or affected in an inverse manner, then we have to pay for it. And similarly, not just on the earth planet, but on higher realms too, like the heavenly planets or wherever in a material creation. Because by nature, in our conditioned state, we want to enjoy. That's, that's why we're here. We want to have a party, and usually, in trying to have the party, we want to use other people and things. So we're seeing from this pastime here that whatever we do, there's always consequences. If we do good, you get good karma. You do bad, you get, you get it mixed sometimes, usually. There's a mixture of both. But how can one transcend the karma? That's when one, uh, that's what the Bhagavatam is teaching us here also. One can transcend the karma by taking to bhakti, by taking to devotional service. So they realize they're in a fix. They realize that they're in a vulnerable position. They're not completely de independent. They are dependent. And they are forced to be interdependent. They have to go to Lord Shiva. So then they realize, and it behooves us to realize that we can control to some degree, but we're not in full control, but there are people who are in more control. And then there's God, the highest, Krishna. He's in full control and he's always in full control. Like we see when Krishna came here on the planet 5,000 years ago plus, he was always in control. Nobody could control him, right? When all the demons came, he controlled them. He fixed them and he dispatched them very nicely. No one, he can do whatever he would. He felt like wearing some nice clothes. I want to wear some fancy clothes. He goes to the washerman. He wants the clothes. The washerman is so rude and nasty. Krishna just kills him, puts the clothes on. Oh, I feel like having a nice garland. I'm dressed so fine and dandy. I really need a garland to complete the outfit. And then he goes to the Mali. 
the garland maker. Can you give me a garland? This person who was a devotee, the exact opposite of the washerman, and he puts his garland. Krishna does whatever he wants. Who can stop him? Such is the nature of God. So when there is somebody like that, and like his representative Shiva, we see the best thing for us to do, and what the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam, and all the Vedic literature say, take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's the Maheshwara. He's the controller. He's the Lord of all the planets and the demigods. He's the Ishvara Parama Krishna. And by taking shelter of Krishna, then one will not be baffled, taking shelter of Krishna and Krishna's devotees. So then we engage in devotional service and we see that independence that we're always wanting, we're always wanting that independence. That independence we get truly when we engage in devotional service to the Lord and we have full facility to express that independence in the realm of service. But just like how that independence has to be carefully nurtured and guided so it can be utilized properly, that's where Krishna's caretakers come in, like Lord Shiva. They're guiding us because they know Krishna, they know better. So they're guiding us how to use that independence that we're so attached to in the service of Krishna. So that's true independence. So I'll stop here if there are any questions, comments, or discussion. Yes, Krishna Krishna.
it's so important to hear the Lila of Mahaprabhu and Krishna and Prabhupada's so that, that at least for me, if that's not there, even if, even after decades of practicing, there's still this, wow, look at this person. They just like uh, jumped off a um, you know, 3,000 foot drop just with like some fake wings or something, or a parachute and a capsule, or someone just did some incredible excursion. Then you hear Krishna jumping off an 88 mile mountain. Like, oh, okay, that, nothing comes close to that. So, that point of view is in order to really, in order to not be fascinated by the mundane idols of this world, and, and of course we know that their abilities are coming from Krishna, at the same time to not be overly awed and think that, well, maybe I should stop worshiping them. To the degree that we're hearing Krishna's Leela, we'll see that, all right, whatever opulences are there, of the six opulences, it's coming from Krishna, and we need to regularly hear Krishna's six opulences person can have 16,000 wives and take care of them and have thousands of offspring, yet remain completely detached, and etc. So um, I was appreciating that point of yours and how important it is for us to um, really stay active and appreciating Krishna's leaders in order to really see who is worshipable, who is worthy of uh, to be served. And yet, and at the same time, there's so much thrill and intrigue and excitement as far as how Krishna advises these six opulences without any ego or without any pride or material contamination. So just thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up that because so many times we hear the pastimes and because we've heard them repeatedly, our reaction is, God, why am I so dull? I'm like a stone. Why does it move me? So it's like the latest news. Okay, fool yourself and say it's the latest gossip about Krishna. Krishna's news trending. And we see with new refreshed eyes and new vision the pastime again. Otherwise, we're just in a lazy, jaded mode. Yeah, I know that pastime about Krishna. And we just take it for granted. No, it should be ever fresh. It should, it should be everything, ever fresh. You know, like we do in Vrindavan, you, you have this heightened consciousness of everyone. Oh, the curtain opens and everybody's applauding, joy. And everything is so precious. They're mindful of everything. And we pray, Krishna, please let me sustain this mood. Let everything else be fresh and I will see you with this ever fresh vision all the time. So we want to sustain that. And that can be done by repeatedly chanting the holy names of the Lord. Not, not in that same old jaded way but with attention, uh, very fresh, very, very present. So I'm thinking, so many devotees, they, all devotees, they always pray to Krishna, may I never forget you, Krishna. May I always, so they don't want any material benediction, they're all, only praying, may I never forget you, may I always serve your lotus feet. And that's one of the things that's meant by may I always worship you, that we always have this fresh consciousness of Krishna, and what Krishna means and the significance of, of that and our relationship with Krishna. So thank you for that. Yes, someone else? Krishna Sharan. In another level of religious theology, um, so God is all powerful and you know, he kills demons. And since 
sent me to Tehran, you know, like that. But, you know, it's, it's, sure it's also an expression of Krishna's love. It's also an expression of Krishna's love because ultimately, humanity becomes free from all sinful reactions. When, when that demon of humanity is killed by the Supreme Lord, becomes free from all sinful reactions and he attains uh, God's liberation. Okay, you can go further than that, like in the case of Pluto. Although she, she was a demoness, and she sent for him in her breast, get a butch baby Christian to try to kill him and then. He responded by killing her, but because she approached, when he guided her mother, he accepted her and, uh, and she gave her liberation. She, she actually uh, um, attained the form of a nurse or mother in the spiritual world. So, in that respect, God is always loving him, even when we think, even when he approaches the demon, still he's loving him. Although it's just a matter of how they approach him to his parts. And that's where Shiva gets that from. The, he's kind of both into the saintly and the demoniac. Actually, Vengas was really more like in a demoniac mood at that time of the, the Yagya, the sacrifice. But he was still merciful to them. I'm just thinking like this current uh, TV, ongoing TV movies and things. That's why it's so important to uh, nourish the Sambanda. So when we get this knowledge of the philosophy, Paritranaya Sadhyam Vinashaya Chadushvitam, we understand that Krishna doesn't come just for the devotees, but he comes for those who are misbehaving, to rectify them as a loving parent. And then we get this knowledge of the philosophy, and you see, Bhagavatam is so very efficient. Not only does he get it theoretical, but it presents like, actual episodes that are taking place where people, they don't understand. They don't, they admire. Like the demigod, they, um, when Daksha was killed, there was a lot of mass, he was, you know, he was decapitated by Jayabhadra. But then when knowledge of the philosophy kicks in, like in the case of Daksha, Daksha is revived with a goat's head. Just imagine the scene, you have a man with a goat's head and he's praying to Shiva and saying, oh yes, you killed me, and oh yeah, thanks for that. He understands, he has a sambanda understanding, right? And that's cool, you know, you killed me. So he lived to, he lived to come back and tell about it. He, he died and he lived, he died, and then he lived again, and he came back to tell the truth. Yes, good, that's good that you killed me, because you have more grasp, more understanding of the philosophy. So it's so very important for us to uh, nurture that sambanda so we can get proper understanding. It's so very nice that Krishna comes to everyone and every now and then in the Bhagavatam you see he's come to somebody. Like when in Lord Vamadev, he came to Bali Maharaj with all these different incarnations. He comes to everybody but sometimes that fortunate person comes to them. He's coming to them, but he's always coming for all of us at every second. Krishna is approaching us, so we should reciprocate that. Yes, Ezekiel? Thank you. 
thought that, okay, so you're in DNA class, and just like with mathematics, you do not expect it to understand advanced mathematics at this level. So um, go, go through the grades, calculate what Prabhupada would say, go through the Srimad Bhagavatam systematically, then you're going to understand more. And so um, that example was given, so you go patiently through the grades, um, understanding that more and more um, advanced knowledge comes as you um, progress, and especially, as I said, you're progressing through the Bhagavatam systematically. Everybody, you want to go and understand Krishna's pastimes unless you do that. Thank you very much, Shrimad Bhagavatam Kija, Shri Prabhupada Kija, Jai. 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 Jai.